Well, this morning is not only the first Sunday of the month, it's the first Sunday of this new year, 2018. How many of you have already uh, written down the date incorrectly on something? Yeah, yeah, well, that's pretty good, actually, or you're just not being honest, but it's, I have several times, uh, it gets me every year, but here we are in a new year. What is this year going to hold for you? Now, some of you may know some of that already. You know some things that you're facing. But of course, we can't know everything. There will be some things that we will face this year that we won't know until uh, they are thrown at us and land in our lap and we have to deal with them. Life can so often seem like a bunch of puzzle pieces. And we have these random experiences, random occurrences that happen to us Uh, Sometimes things that develop over a long period of time, but sometimes something that just happens very, very suddenly. And and you get these puzzle pieces often in piles and they're just dumped on you and you're, you're supposed to make sense out of them. What do I do with all of these things? And so here at the beginning of a new year, we have to think, what puzzle pieces are we going to be getting this year? For some of you, it'll be wonderful things. Robin Rutan was here. I, I pray. I don't know this, but I pray she's on her way to the hospital right now to have that baby. I pray that in faith. She needs to have that baby. But I guarantee sometime in 2018 she's going to have that baby because she's about a week past her due date already. Some, it might be a new home, a new job, or, or a new grandchild. Some wonderful foreseen or unforeseen blessing and you'll get that puzzle piece. and Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. For some of you, you're going to be handed some tough pieces this year. And some of you already know some of those pieces. Some of us don't. Could be the death of a loved one. Could be some rough news going to the doctor. Marilyn already knows she's facing surgery on Wednesday, correct? Be in prayer for you. Tough things. Again, some we can anticipate, we know about, but many we don't. Each of these things is is a piece of this puzzle that we try to put together, this thing that we call life. We try to make sense of it. And it seems often very nonsensical. What is the big picture? And when we come to Scripture, as I pray we do, we can often have the same idea or mentality with Scripture. We read a passage, we like or don't like what it says, but we see it as a puzzle piece. And we think maybe, sort of, kind of, it should all go together, but we're not really sure it does. Maybe it's just a bunch of random sayings collected throughout the ages. Maybe it's just good moral stories that are thrown together. And and I could just grab one thing and hold on to it for today, but I don't really know if there's a big picture. And sometimes we take the pieces we get in our life, our experiences, or we take a piece of something we read out of Scripture or we hear from somebody else, and we're like a four- or five-year-old trying to put together a puzzle. Have you ever seen a four- or five-year-old put together a puzzle? Any two pieces in a four-year-old's mind will fit together. With the right pressure applied, it fits. And, and you'll get these mangled pieces that, that your son or daughter hands to you or your grandson or granddaughter, and they hand to you and say, look, look, these go together. And you're looking at the picture going, no, that nose doesn't go on that foot. These don't go together. And you pull them apart and the piece is kind of mangled. 
the little nub on it is kind of bent back because they were forced into place. We do that with God's word. We take things we don't like and we want to change the picture. We want it to look like what we think it should look like. And so we force the, the scriptures to be what we think they should be. And we do that with our own experiences. Say, I don't like what's happening to me. Or, or look at this good thing that's happened. Isn't it great that I earned this, that I got this? And we're forcing these pieces to fit a picture we think they should fit. Well, today, as I often like to do on the first Sunday of a new year, I want to look at the big picture of Scripture. The text for today is Genesis to Revelation. We will not be dealing with all of it equally. Because God has given us a big picture. We are not just left to or free to put the puzzle pieces together however we see fit. That can be challenging and discouraging, but can also be incredibly comforting and encouraging. So when you get a puzzle piece that you don't like and you don't know what to do and you really wish it wasn't in your hand, you can say, I know God has a big picture and I will trust in that, come what may. And today we're going to look at this outline of the big picture in Scripture. Three key points that as we walk through Scripture, I hope that you see these things. The first is God is present. God didn't just create creation and walk away. He is powerfully present. The second thing goes right along with that. God is present with his people. He is present actively at work within his people who are trusting in him. And the final thing is, God is present with God's people living God's plan. Now, we often want the first one. We want God to be present. We usually want the second one, God be present with me. Sometimes we're not so crazy about the third one. God, I want you to be present with me for my plan. That's what we want. And God says, no, I have a plan. I have the big picture. You are not left to just cram the puzzle pieces together. I have a picture for how it all goes together. So we're going to walk quickly from Genesis to Revelation. And I want you to think about those three key themes. God's presence with his people according to his plan. And see, as we see these things in scripture, what the big picture is. Because my goal is not to come to you and say, look, I can make sense of every puzzle piece that you're going to get this year. I can't do that. My goal is not to come to you and say, oh, every piece is wonderful and good and you should just thank God for it. No, some of them stink. My goal is to help you to see that there is a big picture. Some parts are very hard. So much of it is very good. But God has a plan that has never failed for you and for all of creation. And so let's start where Scripture starts. Genesis chapter 1. And we'll read through the end of Revelation. No, we'll just... Any volunteers? Let's start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You can follow along in your own Bibles if you wish, but I'll be putting a lot of it up on the screen. Um, I'll probably end up having to read it off the screen so I know when I need to switch the slide. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of all Scripture. It's the beginning for several reasons. One, it's literally at the beginning. But it's also the beginning because right there in verse 1, chapter 1 of the entirety of Scripture, it says, there is a God and He made all things. 
Now, what it doesn't say in this verse, but what every verse after this fills in, is that what he does, he always does with a purpose. The Bible is filled with the fact that God has a plan. He has a purpose. It is for his glory and our good. And so God created all things. In the rest of the chapter, it goes on to describe how. And in this wonderful creation that he made, in the middle of it, he created this wonderful place called the Garden of Eden. And in the middle of that wonderful place, he created two humans, Adam and Eve. And he created them in that place for a specific purpose, to have a relationship with him, to live in his blessing, his provision, to trust in him for everything that they needed because he would provide for them. And then we come to Genesis 3. And Adam and Eve looked at what God gave them and what God said to them and said, thanks, but no thanks. We know better. We're going to try our way instead. We're going to take what you have given us and we're going to decide what's right and wrong. When you look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's, that's that fruit that they took and the sin that they, they entered into, but the idea behind that is so clear in the Hebrew way of thinking. This was them taking the authority to declare what was right and wrong instead of trusting God for that authority. And at that moment, sin entered the world. Because by doing that, it wasn't just breaking some rule and taking some fruit. It was looking to God on the throne of all creation and saying, Lord God Almighty, please get out of my seat. That's my seat, and I want you gone. That's the essence of sin. It's taking the authority that is rightfully and only God's. And yet, the first indication of grace in Scripture is that Scripture doesn't end in Genesis chapter 3. It should. I think, frankly, if I was writing it, it probably would. Well, that's the end of it. They messed up, so be done with them. God had every right to do that, and yet he goes on book after book, chapter and verse after chapter and verse of grace and mercy and love and continuing to work out his plan that never fails. But it's messy. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. A story that might seem out of place as you look at an overview of Scripture, because it's a very small story in Scripture, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And yet it's important because it shows what sin looks like in the world and where it led to. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, this might not seem like that big a deal. They just want to build a building. They want to build a tower. But there's no mention of God in this passage. None. What there is a mention of is we want to make a name for ourselves. They want to take their stuff, the stuff that's around them, the clay, the dirt, the bricks, the mortar, and they want to build for themselves security and strength and power. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. And the truth is, ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we live building the Tower of Babel. We all do it. 
we all say, I know what's best for me. I'm going to take this stuff and, and think about it. Who made the dirt that they're using to build the bricks? Who made the mortar that they're using to build this tower to proclaim that they no longer need God? Who made it? God did. And we all do it. We take the stuff that God has given us to act like and declare that we don't need God at all. And the Tower of Babel repeats itself over and over and over again. And in Genesis 11 and 5 it says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And it goes on, verse 6, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Now, on the surface, this looks like a mean and awful thing that God did. And we look at things like this in Scripture, we look at things like this in history, and frankly, in our own lives and situations that come our way, and we want to say to God, how dare you? But see, God had a plan for these people. He had provisions to give them. He had wonderful blessings to give them. He had joy beyond compare to give them, and they were settling for so much less. It's like the child that picks up a bottle of poisonous substance and says, I'm thirsty. And the mom looks at him and says, don't you dare. Don't you drink that. How does the child think about the mother? You're so mean. I'm thirsty. Don't you want me to have something to drink? Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm about to die because I'm so thirsty? That's what's going through the mind of the child. The mind of the mother is, I'm saving your life. Don't drink it. And Scripture opens up to us the mind of God. He knew what was best for them. Every building has a foundation, a beginning. And the rest of the building has to be built on that. Every puzzle has a picture. And we don't get to reinterpret and redefine the picture. The picture is set and that's how the pieces go together. And we can try as hard as we want to cram them together to make the picture that we want, but it will not work. It never does. And it never has. We try to take the foundation of God and His plan, and we try to replace it with the foundation of us and our plan. And then we wonder why the world is crumbling. From the beginning in Scripture, we see the big picture. God's presence with his people for God's plan. But the Bible goes on and it continues. What's God going to do about this problem now that exists in the world? Is he just going to say, well, forget it. I'm out of here. I did my part. God always, always takes the initiative in Scripture. Always. When we are struggling, when we are hurting, When we are completely lost and without hope, God takes the initiative. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we have the next story. Right after chapter 11, where the Tower of Babel occurred, then we move to the call of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Do you remember what the people wanted at the Tower of Babel? Come, let us, let us do this thing so that we can make our name great. They wanted to make their name great. That meant to be powerful, to have influence, to be somebody, to have security. What does God promise Abraham? I'll back up and see it right there. I will, right there at the bottom, make your name great. Did the people at the Tower of Babel want something that was wrong? No, actually. So often when we run after things that God has told us not to, when we run towards sinful things, it's not that our desires are wrong. So often, I think in the Christian world, we've tried to give in this picture that here's things that are bad, here's things that are good. I know that looks like fun, but don't do it. Just run after these things. doesn't matter that they're awful. And we have that picture of right and wrong. And we wonder why our young people walk away from the faith. But in Scripture, what you have is God gave you that desire. But God also gave you the way to fulfill it. You don't get to come up with that on your own. And the truth is, when we try to fulfill those God-given desires in man-made ways, horrible things happen to us, just like the toddler drinking the poison to fulfill their thirst or satisfy their thirst. And so God, on the one hand, comes to these people and says, I'll frustrate your building. I'll I'll stop this building plan. But on the other hand, he comes right to Abraham and says, I want to give you that very thing. I'm going to make your name great. I'll make you into a great nation. And we have the introduction to these people called the Israelites in the Old Testament, God's people, in a relationship with God. And God leads them throughout their history, and he leads them even to the point that they become enslaved in Egypt. How's that for leading? How's that for following God's plan? They are in a hopeless situation. And historically, you can look at it and say, God led them there. But he doesn't leave them there. And the story and the power in Exodus is that God saves them. He calls to Moses and he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, up out of Egypt. And so God does for the Israelites what they could not do for themselves. He takes the initiative and saves them. He brings them miraculously out of Egypt. He brings them to this place right next to the Red Sea where again they're stuck, and again he saves them. And they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then he meets with them. He says, okay, now we need to talk about what this relationship is going to look like. And he gives them his law. And it's so important to understand that God saved them first and gave them rules to follow second. We love to flip those. Hey, you follow the rules and then God will love you. 
And we get to like a new year and we think, I'm going to really clean up my life this year and then God will accept me and love me more. And Scripture flips those around. You draw close to God. He loves you. He has saved you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then through that relationship, He changes you. You don't have to fix yourself up for God. That's His job. But you do have to trust Him and follow Him as He leads you through it. And in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, we have the beginning of what we know as the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he goes into, don't have any other gods before us. Honor your father and mother and all of the Ten Commandments. But it starts here. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I did that. You didn't do that for yourself. All of the law hinges on the fact that God saved his people. In fact, in the Hebrew mindset, this is law number one. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. We order them a little differently. We looked at thou shall have no other God before me as commandment number one. They see this as commandment number one. You need to know that I am the Lord who has delivered you. The solution to our problem, our sin problem, has always been initiated by God. Always. God works to restore his presence with his people so we can live his plan. You might have heard, wrongly, that the Old Testament is all about fixing yourself by doing good works, and the New Testament is all about fixing yourself by trusting in Jesus Christ, that you can't fix yourself. One is works, one is grace. That is not true. It is not true at all. That's not what we see in the nation of Israel. It was all grace. It always has been and always will be. God has never, ever saved anybody by the works that they do. It has always been by his grace. Now, I'd love to say at this point that the nation of Israel did wonderful things and and they went on to live happy lives, enjoying God's presence forever. But that's not the story of Scripture. And I think we can relate to that. But we do see throughout Scripture God's constant care. As they left Mount Sinai and wandered through the wilderness for a long time and eventually came into the Promised Land, we enter the period of the Judges. And the Judges has a cycle to it. People trust the Lord. People start to question the Lord. People don't trust the Lord. People start doing their own thing over again and bad things happen. God saves them. People trust the Lord. People stop trusting the Lord. They try to take care of themselves their own way. Bad things happen. God saves them. And it goes on and on and on. I don't know about you. I can relate to that in my life. We repeat that cycle over and over again as well. But through the period of the judges and into the kings and the kingdom of, of David and then Solomon and the kings that came after, a lot of bad things happened, some good. But through it all, God kept communicating with his people. And he did so through the prophets. And I just want to look at one, the prophet Jeremiah. The prophets were used by God to call his people back to this relationship, to say, come on, quit going your own way. It's just like the Tower of Babel all over again. Come back and trust me. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. If you, Israel, will return, then return to me declares the Lord, if you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in truthful, just, and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him, and in him they will boast. He says, look, quit trying to go after what you think will save you. 
Come back to my relationship, to a relationship with me. And then fast forward to Jeremiah chapter 29. Because God constantly warns his people. If you will not trust me, you're going to go through hard times. It's just like the Tower of Babel. I will take you through those hard times to call you back to that relationship that you will look and see only I can be trusted. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. You see, at this point in Scripture, God's people have been kicked out of their homes. They'd been captured by a foreign army. And that's really easy to read as a story, but you have to understand how horrible that was. To have an army just infiltrate your town, smash your houses, tear down your temple, carry you and your family and your belongings off to a foreign land where you have to start all over again. And that's where the people of God are. Things are not gone well. And God comes to them, He says, I know you're in a bad space. I know it's difficult right now. But then he says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is a very famous verse and one of the most abused verses in all of Scripture. Because the context is God telling his people, I brought you to this difficult place so that in this place you will turn back to me. And it's in that context that God is saying, I know the plans I have for you. They are ultimately plans to help you, to prosper you, to not to harm you. But God's plan brought them to that difficulty. He goes on, verses 12 through 13. This is why this was the blessing he wanted. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God intentionally leads us at times to situations where we are completely over our head and completely helpless so that maybe there we will turn to Him and listen to Him and say, God, You are God and I am not. And I'm tired of stacking my own bricks. I'm tired of doing things my own way. I am trusting in You. And God gave them a promise in Jeremiah 31. He said to them, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. He says, look, I made this relationship with you, but you've broken it time after time, and here's my solution. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Understand what's going on here. God is saying, I'm going to change this picture. I'm going to come into your very heart and your very mind and I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change your desires. I'm going to create a new person from the inside out. No longer will my laws be written on a tablet of stone saying live up to this. I'm going to change you from the inside out so you want what I want. The best picture of freedom I have ever seen or can possibly think of is the ability to do whatever you want. 
The problem is right now, our wants are so distorted and messed up that when we do what we want, we get ourselves in trouble over and over again. But what if? What if you could know that everything you wanted was exactly what God wanted? That's the fulfillment of this passage. That He will change what we desire so that it equals what He desires. The Old Testament ends with some hope. The people return to their land, but it's not perfect. Things are still not going well. But they have this promise that God is going to do something new. And so we have God's solution. We just finished the Christmas season. Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with us. Do you see that presence of God? Right there in the name, Emmanuel. He is God with us. Luke records in verse 22, or chapter 22, that this baby, God with us, grew up. And he went to the cross in our place. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, he's going to explain to them why he's going to the cross. And I want you to listen to the language he uses, because they would have been very familiar with it. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the, do you see that phrase? New covenant. That's Jeremiah 31 right there. The promise of God that he was going to change his people forever, that he was going to undo the curse of the Garden of Eden, that he was going to undo the constant need of us being like a, a rat on a wheel running and running and running of the, the Tower of Babel. He says, I'm going to have a new covenant, a new promise. I'm going to change you from the inside out. And Jesus is saying, guess what, guys? It's here, and it's me. And it's my blood shed for you that's going to save you. Not your effort. It's my body that's going to go to that cross and be broken for you. Not yours. You can't do it. All of Scripture led up to this point. All of it. And if we don't understand Jesus and His death and resurrection on the cross, we can never, ever, ever comprehend the big picture of Scripture. And it will always remain a loose collection of good moral stories. It's all about Jesus. Jesus was never the plan B. He was plan A from the very beginning. Always and forever. And he always will be. Matthew 28, Jesus gives the marching orders to his followers as he's about to ascend into heaven. He's died on the cross, risen from the grave, and he comes to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Do you see it? God's presence with his people for his plan. It's the same plan that was there in Genesis. God doesn't have a plan B because he never needs one. His plan A always succeeds. And now I hope you're starting to see where your pieces fit in. Because these words weren't just to the disciples. They're to us too. We're still living this out today. Why are you given what you're given? Why do you go through what you go through? So that you can 
make disciples of all nations. So you can share the gospel with others. So you can lead others to a relationship with Jesus Christ using the things that God has given you. And that plan continues on today. We sit here today because the plan has not failed. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, about the church. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you want to be loved in 2018? Don't we all want to be loved? Don't we all spend so much effort and energy running after things we think will find us love and make us feel loved? The big picture of Scripture is that God loves you and sent His Son because He loves you to save us so that then we can become together this body of Christ, this church saved by Jesus Christ to know more of God's love for us so that we can show, demonstrate, proclaim that love to others that they might love that love. They, they might know that love too. But friends, so often we take that and we say, that's great. I know what will be loving to people. I know how they'll experience God's love. I know what God's love should feel like and look like. And we twist it and distort it because we think we know best. And the big picture of Scripture is that God always knows best. And so we are here today as the continuation of God's plan. That plan that has never failed is the plan that's being carried out in your life. And in this church, and in bodies of believers around the world throughout history, it's the plan that the gospel invites you to be a part of if you haven't been saved by Jesus Christ. It's the plan that reaches out to you to say your days don't have to be meaningless. They don't have to be random puzzle pieces being crammed together for no point. You can understand that you're a part of something so much bigger. And it's a plan that will never fail. Scripture gives us the end of this plan, the end of this picture, which is the beginning of all eternity. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Listen to the language of Genesis 1 and 2 and the creation of the world. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, that's the beginning, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. There's the plan. Genesis to Revelation. 
I'm not saying that everything that happens this year, you're going to be able to look at it and say, oh, I totally see God's plan in this. This is how it's all going to work out. It doesn't always work that way. But I do believe if we can look to Jesus Christ first as our Savior, and then look to Scripture and see God's overwhelming plan for us and everything else in creation, it gives a really good sense of perspective on those difficult things that we face. To be able to say, I may not see exactly where this puzzle piece fits, but I know God has a plan and a purpose for it, and I will trust Him in that. So what about us? What about today? We need to accept that God is the God of the big picture. We don't get to rewrite that picture the way we see fit. Bad things have always happened when people try to rework and change and modify the picture that only God alone has the authority to make. We need to know the big picture of Scripture. We need to read and learn and study together and discuss and see what God's big picture is and to continue to fill in those pieces of His revealed Word. Then we need to live out that big picture. As we trust what God is doing, we start seeing our place in that plan and we see that as a church, we are here to be missionaries in this society. We are here to be disciple makers in this society. We are here to be a fellowship, a body of believers to encourage and to challenge one another along the way. 2018 is a new year. Do you want to know God more this year? What are you going to do this year to know more of God's big picture from Scripture than you did in 2017. 2018 is a new year. And maybe up until this point in your life, you've been doing things your way. You've been putting your big picture on your life and the lives of those around you. I pray that 2018 is the year that you lay down that picture. And you say yes to Jesus Christ. And the big picture of God for all of creation and for you to be with you, to call you his child and to live out his perfect plan in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we are not left to just figure these things out on our own. And I thank you that when we try, you are gracious and loving and forgiving. But you are also stern and you lovingly confront us in our error. And through the power of your word, you call us back. And I pray, Father, whatever people are going through right now and whatever they will go through this new year, may they always remember you have a plan that has never and will never fail. And in the midst of of that storm of difficult puzzle pieces being thrown at them. May they look to you and say, God, you are God. I am not. And I will trust in you. Come what may. You have a plan and a purpose. And I will trust in that. And I pray that they would start today, on this first Sunday of this new year, that if anybody has not received Christ as their Savior, may today be the day 
that they would accept that call into that loving relationship with you to have their sins wiped away, to have a new heart, a new mind, that they might live in that wonderful relationship with you, being a part of your perfect plan forever and ever. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.